Fantastic. All right, so I wanted to talk to you this morning about finding rest in Jesus. Um, I've been reading a book uh, by Brennan Manning, um, The Relentless Pursuit of His Tenderness or something like that. So uh, just really profound kind of, one of these people who writes, you just like, whoa, that's, that's deep, deep stuff. But, uh, but it was good. We had a couple of days uh, away um, down in Margaret River, which was nice. We did a wedding, conducted a wedding, but, um, but we kind of stayed down the night before and uh, so I had lots of free time. Uh, which is just great and relaxing, and so I got to do some reading. Uh, but while you open your Bibles, Matthew 11, starting at verse 29. Swipe, type in your passcode, open your Bibles. Verse 27 says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Okay, so Jesus is saying, no one knows the Father except the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father and anyone who He chooses to reveal Him to. Verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who's heard that passage of Scripture before? Yes, you prayed it over yourself a number of times. Uh, a couple of things just to pull out from that is when Jesus speaks of the yoke, we need to understand He's speaking as a, as a Jewish person from a Jewish tradition and as a Jewish rabbi. Okay, so there's, we need to look at that contextually. Um, often, the word yoke gets translated as meaning uh, like an oxen and the, the, the timber thing that would be upon their shoulders and they would pull together. Now, I'm not saying there's not scriptural references to that, but my understanding is when Jesus is talking about a yoke, He's not talking about a yoke like an oxen, but the teachings of a rabbi. So, when you uh, were a, a child and you would grow up as a, as a young Jewish boy uh, and you would go through um, kind of, you'd start learning at like five uh, years old and you'd um, I think it was about that time and anyway so you'd just start learning you'd start memorizing the first five books of the Bible then start you know really get into it and then when you got to a particular age uh, you could almost apply to be to become a rabbi so you'd be then the, like the the disciple of a rabbi and you'd get you know kind of gruelingly tested uh, by this rabbi to make sure that you were kind of up to the standard so that you could even uh, argue well the scriptures, you knew the, uh, the, the Old Testament, all of that sort of stuff. And so when you would then come under, if you were invited to become a disciple of a rabbi, then you would take their yoke, which was their particular teachings, so their particular understanding of, of, of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, all of that sort of stuff, and you would then take that yoke upon you, and you would do all that you can. Your whole life became devoted to becoming like your rabbi that you were following, okay, including the teachings, which was the yoke. If we think of the yoke as being this kind of, uh, you know, oxen slavery thing, well, I don't think Jesus invites us into slavery. No, he invites us into sonship, into, into freedom, into life. But there is a, a yoke uh, that is put upon us, and there is a burden that's put upon us. But Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, which means his teachings are simple. Okay? And the burden that Jesus puts upon us is light. And so the yoke or the teachings, they were the expectations of a disciple. So when you took that yoke upon you, there was the expectations that were put 
upon your life. Expectations create a burden. It's a weight to carry. And so if we think about being in the world, the world piles upon us a yoke, a pile of expectations that are put upon us in terms of how we are to, how we are to look, how we are to speak, where we're to live, how we're to behave. All of these sorts of things get piled upon us. There's a, there's a yoke. And it becomes a yoke of slavery because it's a, it's a weighty teaching that we cannot stand under. It's too heavy for us. So maybe to be successful, to be important, to look the right way and to do the right thing. And we never enter into rest because there is always something for us to do to satisfy those desires. So again, when expectation gets put upon you, it also creates and stirs desire within you for certain things. So the world says there's an expectation for you to be successful, so then it creates the desire for success within you because you want to fulfill that expectation because we all want to be loved and we want to be accepted. We want those sorts of things. But Jesus doesn't come to fulfill your desires, but to take them away and to give you new desires. So if you're under this yoke, this pile of expectations from the world, Jesus doesn't come to say, well, I'm going to fulfill all of those desires. It's, no, no, I'm going to take those desires away. I'm going to give you new desires and desires that I am designed to satisfy. So if you have a fear of rejection, Jesus doesn't come to fill it. He comes to kill it. If you're proud, He doesn't come to fill it. He comes to kill it. If you're stuck in habitual sin, He doesn't come to fill it. He comes to kill it. He wants to give you new desires. He doesn't come in and say, oh, oh, you've got a fear of rejection. Well, what I'll do is I'll set up circumstances that every single person in your life will never reject you. And then you'll never have to deal with that because you'll be satisfied. Your desires will be satisfied. He's like, no, no, no. I won't come and fill your rejection. I will come and fill you with my acceptance. So all of a sudden, when we're filled by Jesus, we no longer have this desire to be filled by other things, to be filled by people in that way. So when we take upon ourselves His yoke or His teachings and His burden, so His expectations, we find rest and freedom. We exchange our worldly expectations that can never be satisfied with God's expectations that He can fully satisfy. Because we are designed, when we come into our new creation reality, and as all of those things are stripped away, we, we start to be formed into the perfect vessel to receive the fullness of Christ. Because Jesus isn't here to meet your desires. He's here to change your desires and then to meet your desires. So I think about it, you know, if you, if you have a PC, computer, and something, you know, it, it breaks down obviously, as expected. So your PC breaks and you get out a, a Mac technician, okay? And they can't fix your problem, but they can supply you with something different and far superior. <laughs> and if that ever breaks, then they can come and fix it. So they rock up at your house and they say, hey, I've, got, I've got a PC. And they're like, well, I, I don't know how to operate PCs because I'm a Mac expert, you know? And I wouldn't touch them, you know, because I don't want to get defiled and, and those sorts of things. And so there's not much they can do with that. But what they can say is, look, we can take that and, and put it where it belongs in the trash and I can give you, I can give you a new computer, okay, a Mac computer. And then anytime, if there is a problem, which there probably won't be, um, but if there was and the slim chance something goes on, um, you know, then I can come and I'm, I'm fully prepared to fix any issue that you have. Okay? And obviously the Mac will fill all your desires and all your needs and you'll be fully satisfied. Thank you. Thank you. 
Checks in the mail. So God, God can give us stuff, but His greatest and most precious gift is Himself. So when we live in this kind of world of, of expectation of things being fulfilled, and then we come and we meet Jesus, and we think, oh, Jesus is here to meet all of my desires. So all of my fears and all of my needs and all of my wants and all of my pride and all of my ego, oh, Jesus can, can fulfill those things. And often then people get into this journey of just pursuing and pursuing after stuff, almost like Jesus is, you know, kind of uh, some big, like a candy machine or something. Is this going to fill me and pour out all of these things that I want? But he's like, but I'm, I, he's not designed, he's not perfectly designed to fulfill your desires. He's perfectly designed to fulfill the desires that he would put in you. Okay, Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright and godly life in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. He gave himself up for us. Now these scriptures obviously can be referenced to the cross and we think about that, well he gave himself up in that way, but essentially he gave himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So we can come to Jesus looking to fulfill our worldly things, but sometimes in doing so, we miss the most precious gift, and that is Christ himself. Galatians 1.4 says, Jesus who gave himself for our sins, gave himself to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So many come to Jesus in order, in order to satisfy their needs and desires. But issues arise when these desires aren't Christ himself. Because Jesus satisfies with himself. He is not a portion. He's our portion. So he's like, well, you, Jesus comes, I've, I've come to, to satisfy your desires. Well, what do you have for me, Jesus? I have me. That's what he has to give us the most precious gift. But we can be looking around, but well, where, where's the presence, Jesus? Where's the sack full of goodies that you brought for me? You know, like, no, no, it's, it's me. I'm here. You know, I imagine if, if, if the relationship that I had with my children was one of, you, you're never going to see me, but I'm just going to send some money so you can buy toys each month. You know, that might last for a little while. But eventually, they would start to hopefully start to miss me. And like, no, actually, I would trade in every toy, every gift that I could get just to have you, just to be present with you, just to know you in that way. Ephesians 4.13 says, until this is coming out of the fivefold ministry, the purpose of that, and it says, until we attain unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're coming into is this reality of the fullness of Christ. To be filled with all the fullness of Christ. 
Ephesians 3.19 says, We don't come, oh sorry, uh, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So we don't come to God to meet our needs, we come to God to change our needs. It's like if you go to the shop and try and buy something with foreign currency, the exchange must happen before you can come and get fulfilled. We have to make the exchange and then we can come and all of a sudden we're satisfied. And I think a lot of people can walk around unsatisfied in their relationship with Jesus because they're expecting Jesus to give them the stuff that they want. And yet he's there saying, but I'm here. Do you see me? What about me? Don't you just want me? So God obviously in His benevolence, in His mercy, in His grace, and even in promises of Scripture, He provides for our needs. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else and His righteousness, everything else will be provided for you. So there's something where it's like, you don't need to worry about your daily needs in terms of food and clothing and all of those sorts of things. I will provide for you. And He loves us so much that there's things that's like, God, I would really love that. And He delights to do that. But but I feel like it's, we need to get the right kind of order in those sorts of things. That we're coming first with this expectation is, but Jesus, I just want you. I will trade everything for you, God. He has a gift that he wants to give, the gift of himself. You know, Jesus comforts us in our lack to maintain us while our desires are being transformed. You know, there's natural desires that we have, desires, you know, for, for comfort, for affirmation, like there's just natural and they're not ungodly desires, okay? But some of that healing and the transformative work that Jesus does in our heart all of a sudden shifts me so that I'm no longer waiting for Him to fill something, but I'm actually coming into a place of healing where I no longer need Him to fulfill those things because I'm fully satisfied in Him. So I can search for affirmation in the world or I can become fully satisfied in Jesus and then I, then I no longer need to look for that in the world because I'm fully satisfied. But He's healed me and He's transformed my understanding from a worldly perspective into a kingdom perspective. I believe that often we settle for less than Christ. We settle for fleshly satisfaction and we give God the credit that isn't necessarily due His name. He doesn't want the glory that comes from our worldly pursuits of fleshly satisfaction. I think sometimes Christians give God too much credit. Ooh. <laughs> I do. I think sometimes we're like, people just, they, they're, they're, they're Christians, they love God, but they go after these worldly pursuits and then they receive what they chased after and they give God the credit. And I wonder sometimes where maybe God's going, I didn't do that. That wasn't me. You don't need to put my name to that. That was all you. And, that was all, and the reason why you're rejoicing is because you've satisfied a fleshly desire with a worldly pursuit. And I'm here with something to give you and you don't want what I have. And so you're going after other things in my name. Now, I'm not saying all the time. I'm just saying I think there's a possibility and I think we have to at least uh, open up our hearts to the possibility that sometimes that happens in the world. That we just go after worldly things and we put Jesus' name on it. Oh, look how Jesus blessed me. Just because it's good. Just because it's good doesn't mean it's God. You can have natural abilities and you can pursue after things and be very successful and completely ignore God. That's why, you know, when we say, oh, look at all the, the money that we have here or something like that, and it's like, 
Well, yeah, but so does this other church that doesn't love Jesus. You know, so does, so does this group over here and so does this group over here. So surely, you know, a, an increase in wealth is not an increase in the blessing of God. I'll just let that one fester for a bit. <laughs> so anything outside of a longing for Christ himself will ultimately go unsatisfied because his greatest gift is himself and not the thing we often long for. He desires not so much to meet our needs, but to transform our needs, to change them from selfish, ungodly desires for self-pleasure and idolatry to a deep desire for more of him. Now I'm talking about a like a this is this is a this is a journey of maturity okay this is a process of sanctification so i'm not saying oh we just need to stop that and step completely into this but this is the process of the stripping away the stripping away in our lives that we come to a place where we are fully satisfied in him and it's not that we don't then have longings for other things but as paul says you know i've learned to be content whether in lack or in abundance it doesn't change my level of contentment so if somebody came and gave you a million dollars, you'd go, thanks, that's good. Or if you lost all of your money, you'd be like, well, that's a shame. But I'm content because I haven't really lost God. So that deepest place of satisfaction has, is not unchanged for me. His desire that our, is that our greatest longing and deepest place of satisfaction will be Christ himself. So not our comfort, not our earthly needs, not our status or ungodly pleasure. Jesus satisfies our desire for him by giving us him. And unless our worldly desires die and come into repentant resurrection, we'll be no more satisfied in Christ than we are in a good hearty meal. believing you're saying amen in your head to come to god simply to satisfy our own ideas is not worship it's idolatry we can make an idol out of god we just make him into like a piggy bank uh, an atm that we just come and draw down from And this I've preached before on, on when we come out of the world and into the kingdom, it's not just who we worship that must change, but how we worship. Because in the world, we worship in the form of idolatry. So we raise up things or people or status or whatever it is to be our God. And that God ultimately, we hope, will satisfy us. It never does. That's why some of the, you know, they could be the richest people in the world are the most depressed and, and, and lonely. So we come out of that place, then we come into the kingdom. But if we carry that format of worship in, then God just becomes the one who will meet all of my fleshly desires. Because like, no, I want, I want to kill all of those desires so I can completely satisfy you with myself. Exodus 33, 18, Moses says, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see my face and live. So Moses said, show me your glory. God says, I'll show you my goodness. And in, in just praying over this, I, I felt like the glory of God creates awe, 
But the goodness of God is an invitation to intimacy. So the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So if, if God was to reveal His glory, I mean, Moses would be so overwhelmed he would die. Okay? And for us, when we see the glory of God manifest, it's like, oh, wow, that's so amazing. It creates awe in us because He is awesome in that way. But His goodness is an invitation. Like, I get drawn in by His goodness. I, get, I stand back at His glory, but I'm drawn in by His goodness. And it's an invitation to intimacy. So he says, I'm going to show you my goodness. And it's like, I, I had a taste of his goodness and I want more. So it draws me in closer. Intimacy is our launch pad for exploits in the kingdom of God. Because the reality is even good kingdom things can be ungodly in a sense that we're not doing it out of a place of intimacy. It just becomes another status symbol. In the church, there are things that are highly regarded okay could be leading or preaching or you know going out in the streets and and evangelizing or, or doing worship or doing something like that so there's things that are highly regarded and they're good things but if it's not if i'm not pursuing those things out of a place of intimacy if there is a lack in me that i'm finding satisfaction in those exploits then i'm missing god in that very process and i'm using godly things but i'm i'm trying to satisfy a worldly or fleshly desire i believe there is as much pursuit of 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 status in the church sometimes as there is in the world and and all of us are guilty of that it's not just the people who become famous we create a fame culture and we lift people up and we put them on pedestals okay because somewhere maybe within us we desire to be that person Oh man, imagine being famous like that. Imagine having, you know, and we can put, you know, language on it like, oh, I'd just love to have that level of influence, um, you know, for God's glory. And, and maybe that's the case because we can all have, you know, a purified desires in that. But I think sometimes, you know what? Man, imagine the affirmation that I would get for being that person. And so all I'm saying is for us to make sure that we're doing a, a purified pursuit of this, that we deal with our heart in this way and says, God, I want to come to a place where if it was just me and you alone in a room and that's all I ever had and all I ever did was to sit at your feet like Mary and listen to your teachings, then I'd be fully satisfied. Like literally, if God did nothing more with this church, if God did nothing more in my life, would I be satisfied with Him? Now again, we can have you know, unholy, sorry, holy discontent, not unholy discontent, but a holy discontent that says, but man, but I've, I'm passionate about this and God, I'd love to see you do this. And I think we need to just keep coming back to this thing, but God, would I be satisfied without that? Am I content to see other people excel? Am I content to see other people who I think maybe are less worthy of the attention get all of the attention? And I think that can often be a marker. It's like when somebody gets promoted before you, what does it do in your heart? If it doesn't cause rejoicing, there's something wrong in your heart. <laughs> there's healing. There's something that's not being met by Jesus in that place. The closer you get to the sun, only that which is like the sun remains. So the sun, S-O-N, but the sun, S-U-N, okay? So you imagine you're hurtling through space. You're heading towards the sun, this big fiery ball of flaming gas, and you're heading towards it, the reality is anything that is not exactly like the sun is going to get burned up the closer that you get. So if you're a meteorite, you're just rock and stuff like that, and you're hurling towards it, eventually you'll get to the point where it'll just crumble up and disappear. Okay? 
But if you are a sun heading towards the sun, I can imagine, I've never seen two suns collide, but I can imagine if they did, one would just get enveloped in the other and nothing would be lost. Probably in some sense, one would actually, the one that is hurtling towards it would start to increase as it gets closer, as it picks up on what is in there. And I think for us, the closer that we get to Jesus, the, the more that we move towards the sun, anything that is not of him gets burnt away. And that's a really good thing. Intimacy is that place of, of satis- um, satisfaction, but also sanctification. It's a stripping away process. It's not like, oh, I come into and I get close to God. Oh, I just feel good all the time. It's like, no, that's the fiery place. That's the place where you're going to get burnt up. Prepare yourself on the journey of intimacy that God is going to burn you up. He's going to burn up your flesh. He's going to strip away those things because you come before Him fully exposed. And He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the holy God. Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven... On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name and put out worship albums in your name and grow large churches in your name and have amazing uh, ministries in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow. Wow. Jesus says, I never knew you. An encounter with God's glory may cause someone to do great things with God, but an encounter with His goodness will cause us to do great things with God. So he's talking about doing things in His will. Well, how do you do things in His will? When you come to know Him. The more you know Him, the more you hear Him, and the more you'll do in alignment with Him. So it starts off in this verse, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So we can do great exploits for God if they're not coming out of a place of intimacy. Potentially, Jesus is going to turn around and say, they're lawless deeds. He says, you workers of lawlessness, you've stepped outside of my purposes. You've stepped outside of my will and my desires, and you've just been running on your own track. I expected this sermon to be much nicer. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so I'm just preaching to me. If this doesn't mean anything to anyone else, it's talking to me. (laughs) It's a preparation for the greater things. You know, we've, we've had lots of amazing prophetic words. I mean, literally just last weekend, more words spoken over us. And sometimes there can be that inclination to go, okay, I've got to start running and doing things now. It's like, no, no, I've got, man, I've got to step in deeper. I've got to get closer. Where's the, where's, where are you, Father? Because I need to be closer to you. Because I don't want to run off over there doing great exploits for you and leave you behind because that will be devastating. I don't want to be a worker of lawlessness. I want to be completely and perfectly in your will. So you say, yes, God, because he releases the word. And I say, okay, Lord, I'm just going to keep my head close to your heart, just listening. Okay, what, what's next, God? What's next? Promotion will come. But it will come when he opens the door now it doesn't mean we don't we don't pray and we don't 
prophesy and we don't, you know, press into God and we don't look for opportunities and all of that sort of stuff, but we've got to stay close. Right, we're going to share communion together. I just want to, as we do that, just invite you really to come into this place. And maybe you feel like, you know what, I think I've been pursuing a lot of worldly stuff and putting God's name on it. And I just, need, I just want to come. And you might be like, I can't even specify exactly what it is. But just, I just want to make sure my heart is right with God. And just come. So as we take of His body and we drink of His blood, we are, we are literally, literally, in a figurative sense, <laughs> taking himself into us. So there's a, I mean, there's a Catholic and, and in some higher Anglican um, theology of what's called transubstantiation, okay? Where they believe that as they pray over the bread and pray over the blood in some kind of mystical, supernatural way, it actually becomes the very body of Jesus and the very blood of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that's the case. That may be the case. I'm not saying that is the case. But even if it's in a figurative, prophetic sense, I'm saying, Jesus, we want to come to the table of communion and we want to just eat of you, Lord, and drink of you and almost position ourselves in that place to say, and this is where I'm going to stay, Lord. I'm gonna, I want to stay in this place of communion. I want to stay in this place of just feasting off you and drinking from you because that is my deepest place of satisfaction. And there is a place in you that just longs and desires for only that. And that's why you'll be happy in eternity because you'll just be God all the time. And I think I know uh, Dallas Willard uh, in, in one of his books uh, speaks of how, you know, his perspective was maybe for some people, Heaven will be like hell for those who don't love Jesus in an intimate way. Like, oh man, how boring. We're just standing before the throne all day worshipping like, what a drag. Surely there's, you know, I'm sure in primary school I was told there'd be lots of roller coasters here uh, and fairy floss and stuff. But, uh, but it's not, it's just him. It's that coming into that place of his, of his kingdom and his presence, you know, to love his presence. So. going to read from Matthew 22 sorry Luke 22 17 and it says he took a cup and when he'd given thanks he said take this and divide it amongst yourselves for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes and he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me and likewise, the cup after they'd eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray. We just thank you, Jesus, that you give yourself to us. You give yourself to us, Father. And Lord, we just, we just pray now, Father, that whether you would bring things to our mind or even just as an act of faith, Father, we just want to... In repentance, Lord, step out of any pursuit, Lord, that our heart would be going after, Father, that is of the world. And Father, we just want to lay down those things, Father. We just want to empty out our bucket, Lord, and come before you and say, Jesus, we just want you to fill it, Lord. We just want you to fill us, God. We just want you, Lord. 
And Father, you would bring to death, Lord, even any ungodly desires in our heart, Father, where we would seek out comfort, Lord, where we would seek out satisfaction, where we would seek out status or whatever it might be, Lord. Worldly comfort and security, Lord. And Lord, that you would bring those things to death, Father. That we would reckon them dead, Lord. And lay them before you. And Father, we pray that you would resurrect new desires in our heart, Lord. New ways of thinking. Holy Spirit, come right now. Come, Holy Spirit. And just begin to shift, Lord. Begin to shift those perspectives, Lord. Begin to shift and, and, and just take away, Father, those desires of worldly things, Lord. And just awaken our desire for you, Lord. Awaken our desire for you, Father. And Lord, as we come up and as we, we take a portion of the bread, Lord, which represents your broken body, Father. And as we take some of the juice, Lord, that represents your blood. Father, I pray for a mystical encounter this morning, Lord, as we would feast on you, God. And there would just be like, a, Holy Spirit, I pray even in that moment, you would just supernaturally release a grace to us for intimacy, Lord. Release a grace to us for satisfaction in you, God, that we would taste and we would see that you are good and your goodness, Father, would be the thing that would draw us into deepening intimacy with you, Lord. And Father, I thank you that you are so good, Lord, that there are things that we, that we want of in this world, Lord. And you are such a good Father that you do give good gifts to your children, Lord. But Father, we acknowledge that if we only seek after those things, we'll never be satisfied. But Lord, that we would find our full contentment in you, God. And then from that place, Father, we'd be open to receive rightly any gifts that you want to release into our lives.